everyone. Welcome to another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm Chris. And I'm Eliza. And this is Philip. And this is our episode on, I'm sure one of many, on cultural appropriation. We'll be talking about movies Lost in Translation, Shanghai Kiss, and Always Tomorrow in Hong Kong. And we knew that there would be something that would happen with respect to cultural appropriation that would make this episode timely because every two weeks some, <laughs> something new shit happens. Um, yeah. So guys, what's what's the latest kerfuffle online? Is it Adele? That's what I keep Adele. seeing on Twitter. This is, this, yeah. is not a, this is not an Asian one. This is not an Asian person complaining about some no. white chef one. Okay. Changing Although recently, I also saw, saw the, the fox eyes thing. Maybe we could, we can touch on that very briefly. I don't really know what's going on with that, but I did see it on, on a like couple. It's like a plastic of... surgery thing or like if you, like girls are just like, they hold their eyebrows up. I think it's more of a makeup thing. I, I, I don't think it's quite extreme as plastic surgery yet, but from what I read, no, it's, it's a like... a plastic surgery thing. Girls are getting it surgically done. Are, but I think the majority of people like say on Instagram, are, are, it's mostly a makeup thing. And when when they're doing it, they're like pulling up their eyes, and uh-huh. then that's like a yeah. But I don't think it's Asian eyes. I honestly just think that like it just gives you like I don't know maybe fox eyes or like cat eyes. Right. I mean, I think lots of cultures have had that type of makeup for a while. And honestly, I don't even think that many Asian Americans are upset about that. I think it's probably like five people on no, Twitter. They and don't. Then... They have no idea yeah. what's or... what it is or what's going on. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, what's up with Adele? She was. Um, she was, I think, at some festival in London, Tottenham, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, where she's from. Yeah, yeah, you know, go Hotspur. And she <laughs> posted a photo on Instagram of her wearing Bantu knots. Right. I didn't and recognize. Did you guys recognize her? I couldn't tell who it was. No. I, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I like, yeah, sometimes I can't tell who she is, like, without, like, without, unless they tell me who it is. It's like, well, she doesn't have, like, her heavy makeup on, because I'm so used mm, to that mm. look, you know, from, like, 21, and recently, she had a dramatic weight loss, which also caused some entertaining <laughs> online drama because the red I, I think most people were happy for her. <laughs> yeah. But then right. others... She posted a picture, obviously, like, obviously expecting people to comment on the weight loss. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she had anything to promote, though. Like, and I don't know if she up. has an album out or anything. Uh, but, but uh, you know, the, the cultural appropriation, we'll, we'll get more into it uh, later. But it's just, at this point, it's like you can't even wear anything anymore it seems right because it, it just feels like you got to be able to trace it back to i don't know your like primordial ancestor and and if if you weren't if, the, if that thing that crawled out of the ocean uh you know uh, millions of years ago that wasn't your ancestor wearing it then it, it seems like everything is cultural appropriation these days and i saw something happen on um on instagram where um this account vinta gallery which is a filipino fashion brand um, and they, they usually do like bara, like traditional Filipino, fil- traditional Filipino wear, but they like, you know, but make it fashion. So she'll do like indigenous textiles, uh, and she she'll fashion um, a dress out of it. And people got really really upset because she does not hail from the tribe that creates these textiles. Right, and this is exactly what we predicted would happen with the Barcada thing, in which but yeah, and I'm just like, wait, so so now we are culturally, so Filipino people are now culturally appropriating themselves, right, right. Like, That's yeah. the lo- logical extension, right? Uh, with the Barcada thing, if people don't know, it was some bar or a restaurant it's in DC, Barcada, DC. It's like these four white guys that have a wine bar in DC in a very trendy Columbia Heights neighborhood, and. 
they call themselves Barcada. Barcada means like, you know, like your crew, your group mm-hmm. of friends. Mm-hmm. Your squad. Yeah, your squad. And people were so upset. And there was like community meetings that I got invited to but refused to attend. <laughs> um, we got to do something about this. We got to shut yeah, them down. Yeah. And they, like, they were like insisting on like a sit down with the owners to educate them. And then there were like demands that they change their name. And like, you know, for me, like, just, you know, right. especially when they use words like is violence to use that name. Uh, it's like, no, on, no, no, no. You have, I think a lot of people have to, um, you have to go back to the dictionary and look up what violence means. <laughs> I like, well, I mean, if they change their name from Barcada to something whiter, like, does it benefit Filipino people still? Who cares? It doesn't. They're not making Filipino food, right? They're just using that one word. No, they're they're not making Filipino food. There's okay. like no one Filipino that owns the place or even works there. And, and it, like it wouldn't matter. Like four white guys and you have like, say you had like um, a Filipino busboy working inside. Like that's going to make them feel any better. Right, right. Yeah. So, and this, is, this is why these are cultural appropriation people suck. They got us, they're forcing us to sympathize with like four white DC bros Opening up probably <laughs> a crappy bros. restaurant yeah. in probably some crappy part of, of like some gentrified neighborhood, and we got we got to feel sorry for them. Ugh, fuck That's the people. point when you know they've gone too far, right? When you start to you start to like yeah sympathize for uh, the person just they want you to dislike, which is which, which usually would be because like there's you know four white bros like what what is there to like? But in this case, you're like <laughs> what what the fuck is going on here? I, I guess to a point where you kind of wonder like is it just for clout? Is it just like this is the only it's, way? Hundred percent as- for clout. Asian people, you can get status. Or it like, is definitely you know. a very, very easy and superficial way to gain clout and then not get any criticism. Like if I took a political stance on something and went viral with it, I guarantee you I would be flooded with hate and criticism. Sure. Yeah. Um, but this, this, uh, it's also like, it's also just a way for like, I don't know, I guess if you have like any grievances towards white people, which we all do, this is like the easiest way to yell at them. Yeah. Right. Something right. very immediate. But you know, like the instant and- gratification, because it's like yelling at yelling at random white people about like colonization and imperialism. You know, it's it and like genocide. It doesn't. You can't do that. You know, they can't say anything with response because they're going to look bad. But you know, it's also going to make them seethe seethe underneath and de- like further de- delegitimize you in in their eyes, like in the community of uh, in like the white community, if, if there is one, right? Yeah, basically to accuse someone of cultural appropriation is to accuse them of like, it's like racism light. I don't know yeah. if that's like a thing. Yeah. But like, it's like accusing them of racism where if they have, if they put up any kind of defense, you're just like, oh my God. I, I, go, I go so far yeah. as to say like this kind of behavior like pushes more people to the right. Oh yeah, definitely. Because right? the people double down. They don't, they don't like, they, they don't transform this way when, when they're approached by like a mob. Right. I mean, it's got us defending white DC bros. On a related track, on a related track, Jessica Krug. Uh, just, uh, I mean, I'm doing my like. She's the can professor. You tell me that plays yeah, the I'm author. doing my five minutes uh, uh, you know, thing of Twitter these days. Uh, <laughs> and I saw her trending. Long story short, she's a professor at George Washington University, and she, uh, I guess, passed herself off as like a black activist. First of all, I saw a picture of her. It's like, how did anyone think she was black? I mean, I, I think it, it was. It must have been that people were too afraid to say anything because they thought they might come off as like some kind of race purist. But mm-hmm. she's clearly not black. Um, she, at best, she has like 
curly black hair. I, I don't know, whatever. Um, and anyway, she, I guess, recently came out and admitted that she's not black. And then people are like, oh, we're so betrayed. Um, you know, we've seen this before with Rachel Dolezal. I mean, I mean, who knows what Sean King is in terms of race? Rachel Dolezal actually made a more convincing case than Jessica Krug, I think. Oh, wait, well, what was her case? No, I meant like as she far looked, as like trying to black. pass off as biracial. Oh, you mean like physically she looked more yeah. black then? Okay. Yeah. Like she so, still, to me, looks like a very white pass. Like she looks white to me. But if you told me that, like if you told me that she actually did have a black parent, like Rachel Dolezal, I would be like, I guess. Okay. Because I've <laughs> seen like, I've seen people who are half black, half white, but they just look more white. Like Valerie Jar- Jarrett looks almost completely white. I think who? she's half black. Oh, uh, Valerie Jarrett. She's she's like an Obama is. advisor. So what what's the issue here? She like gained like notor not notoriety like um, she gained fame and fortune because people thought she was half black. Like was that the was that the thing that actually went wrong? Like I don't understand why this is an issue. Well, I, I think she like you know did some like Elizabeth Warrening where she probably got her oh. position at the university because of her race. Oh, I, I, she yeah, also yeah. I think claimed uh, you know leadership roles in in New York City during the the. Uh, anti-police protests mm-hmm. uh, apparently she went by a name like jessica la bombalera or something also i, I guess kind oh, of trying to pass okay. off her as as latina or something so how did she get outed maybe somebody was gonna do a bombshell but i think she came out and just admitted it probably maybe <laughs> getting ahead of the story right but but if there was something to get ahead of like she knew she was about to be outed then yeah maybe somebody on twitter or like reddit had found something i'm not sure yeah, I don't know. I kind of wonder if uh, these things like Jessica uh, Krug or this Adele thing, if this is like kind of heightened because of BLM being so active now, right? Like maybe people wouldn't have like caught out Adele in the same way like a year ago. I don't for... know, but the, but the whole like, cultural know. appropriation thing has just been getting crazier and crazier with each passing minute. No, it gets minute. worse and worse. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look what's happening in like the Filipino community, like with the whole like indigenous textiles thing. <laughs> Yeah, because you know? at the at the logical extension is like if if uh, non people outside of your ethnicity um, cannot eat or wear or dance or sing or, or whatever cook. of your culture within your ethnicity, ethnicity is often just just a political construct within your ethnicity or nationality. Uh, to be more specific, there will also be divisions, and then you can further subdivide into that. And the logical extension then is you know Filipinos, Koreans calling each other out within our ethnicity for uh, appropriation to the to a point where may, only, as, as I said, like the, the primordial ancestor who made it, only people who can uh, have direct kinship to them will be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to start somewhere. And how do you even prove it anyway? Right, right. And it, it's, yeah, 23 and me tests. My ultimate thesis is this is just like a, a cash grab. It's like, it's, like, it's like patent trolling. You know, only I may <laughs> do this or that. Yeah. But we'll get into that discussion later. Uh, let's go down this list. Other shit that's been happening. Asian American stuff. I don't think a lot of um, drama has been happening. I, I remember when Kamala Harris got picked as VP. For for one thing, have, none of the Pan Asian stuff. I think everyone is like in their own communities fighting about stuff. Like Pinoy Pinoy Twitter or like Pinoy in internet. Like they're always fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> as, as, as everyone, right? It's yeah. It's, it's so as universal. It's all out of infighting all the time. The sad thing about Kamala Harris, I don't think we need to talk too much about her, was it was the forced attempt by the whole like Asian American blue check crowd to be like, this is our moment. It's like, no, it's not. Not even like black women are that into her. So what the hell? No, the, the, the I mean, saddest thing was the seeing. The thing is, is like the reason no one, she looks black. 
Kamala Harris looks black. She doesn't look Indian. Right. So people just don't see her as Indian except except her name. Yeah. I didn't realize she was Indian actually until <laughs> they started saying she's Asian American. I was like, wait a minute. I had to look it up. And I was like, okay, well, she is Asian American, but not like East Asian American. And all these East Asian Americans are saying this is our moment. Right. But those same East Asian Americans also saying we're not a monolith. So like, what the fuck? Right, right, right. Guys? So th- this, this is why those like East and I think some like Southeast Asian as well. Um, people are so pathetic in this regard. Okay. If not even black women are that into Kamala Harris and if not even South Asian, like, like Indian, Pakistani or, you know, whatever, uh, Asian Americans are into her. And what, what right do we have to, to claim any kind of this is our moment type of sentiment? It's so removed. And so desperate that it's it's just it's, and it's very it's superficial sad. if you think about like you know the, the the valid criticisms of her, right? With her being like a crazy cop and stuff, right? Like that 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 conversation is completely removed because they're too busy talking about whether or not she's like Indian enough to be you know Chinese, right, or whatever the fuck. Like it's, <laughs> it, that that's kind of where the conversation goes. There's nothing else really aside from standing her because she's falls into that bucket on the census. Right, like it's crazy. The same census that they complain about. Yeah, well, it's it's made a whole mockery out of like mainstream liberalism. First with Biden and Me Too, and now with Kamala. I don't know if it's a mockery, man. I think we're mocking them, but I think that you know, in their echo chamber and their their bubble, they're like pretty amped up about her being, you know, VP and maybe president. Like, I think that part's exciting. Like, I think that's that's great, but it's just like you're missing the point around if she's actually going to improve the party or improve their policies or not. No, I'm saying objectively speaking, going strictly by principle, this ticket makes a mockery out of everything that mainstream liberals have claimed to care about in like the last few years with regard to like gender mm. and, and race stuff. So, yeah, I'm sure they're excited for their own personal reasons because it is a triumph yeah. of the party insiders yeah. and whoever wants to hitch their wagon to that star. But whatever, I, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know if you guys paid attention. I don't know. I haven't heard much from her. It doesn't seem like it really matters, as we all probably could have guessed already. So... Besides that, um, BTS Dynamite came out. It's doing really well. Uh, the song's okay. I'm not... Song's huge... okay, yeah. I think it's just doing well because it's a happy song and people want to be happy. What about the fact that it's in English? <laughs> Over that um, fact. I honestly right? can't even really tell that much um, because... Because <laughs> you weren't paying attention to the lyrics even in Korean. <laughs> hey, I, I annotate every single BTS lyric and analyze <laughs> it. But I was surprised that this was apparently their first number one on Billboard. I thought Me too. some other song had been, but... Maybe maybe there's a technicality or something. Um, oh, I put Jay Cutler's dating Tommy Lauren and Philip. Come on, guys, we're not a gossip podcast. I don't even know who Jay Cutler. I know who Tommy Lauren is, of course, but uh, Jay he Cutler is, is like he is. Um, he's a football player, right? Yeah, he was like he was like a. Don't care. <laughs> he wasn't quite a bust, but he uh, anyway. He's like he's kind of a disappointment. That's all. He's a quarterback for the Bears. Um, I just thought this was interesting. Did he because also date? Um, did he also Kristen date Cal- like Kristen Cavallari or uh, yeah. Carrie Underwood? Uh, definitely Kristen Cavallari, and they, and they had the like dumb reality show. Uh, but I just put this on there because I thought it was an interesting acknowledgement that there's this fusion of reality TV. Because Tommy Lauren just reminds me of Heidi Montag. Remember, remember her back in the day. The Hills just like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the mm-hmm. hills, and I I'm not even Spencer. a TV person. I don't know how I know this stuff. <laughs> Honestly, it's probably like um, it's, it's probably up gossip. Space in your brain. So, like, gossip fashion blogs or something. Exactly why I think this is stupid. But anyway, right, right. I so the it. only thing I'll say is that I think the exact same type of people who would have gone into reality TV, you know, 10, 20 years ago, are now going into this YouTube 
you know, oh, so, yeah. pseudo political extremism. Interesting. And it's the exact same crowd. And it at least back in 20 years ago, they were just vacuous ninnies and dumbasses. But well, this is expected now, too, right? Because you have you have plenty of like you know football American football players who are pro Trump. Like it's not it's not a, a secret in any way that like there's some like shading into right wing politics for these uh these otherwise apolitical um you know celebrities and, and athletes and stuff so yeah so this this is like a perfect fusion of, of like the probably the dumbest uh <laughs> types of people in that's the true. in the public sphere so anyway that's why that's why i put it but yeah philip you're right we shouldn't talk about celebrity gossip too much at least <laughs> um yeah so I, I i think we should probably move on to the discussion about lost in translation right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right enjoy listeners all right, moving on to the topic of the day, cultural appropriation. And I, I wanted to just talk about this because for whatever reason, um, the movie Lost in Translation has been in my mind. Uh, one of my favorites and one of yours as well, right, Liza? Love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. I would say it's like in my top three. And is it one of those movies that every time I watch, I'm a little afraid that it's going to get worse in my esteem just because it, like the topic, like the, the premise of the movie can, be, can seem very precious. And it's it's one of those things that I think oh, maybe as I get older, I'm gonna think this movie sucks, and I'm like, what? Well, you know, I was I was dumb for liking it, but no, actually, it stood up. I watched it, I think, almost ten times already. Hey, since you brought up Lolita, what do you think about the age difference between Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray in the movie? See, this is the th- okay, uh, Philip. I want to get your take on this. How old is Scarlett Johansson supposed to be in the movie? Because like she was actually only seventeen as an actress. Oh, really? So she's older than that. Yeah, she. She's in her early twenties, right? Because she said that she just finished um, college, yeah. and she was she was actually she actually got according to the timeline got married while in college. Well, see, and that's the thing. I always thought she was like she was talking about grad school because uh, her husband makes a reference to Yale. So I thought maybe she went to grad school. Maybe because I, I don't think so. I think that this is an undergrad thing. Maybe yeah, she's but like you, a drifter, right? Like she just like she was like a philosophy major or something and then like she didn't really have any plans for career or anything yeah and she's been unemployed her for older years sister had like a new baby and she just like i don't know she just like got married and then just followed him because she wasn't you know just wasn't doing yeah. anything but she's yeah. no older than 25 and he's definitely like you know 40 50 kind of i think he's more like in his 50s there's yeah. no way bill murray's only 40 yeah i mean he <laughs> Sorry, just looks, late 40s he kind of looks 50s. decrepit so i feel like he's <laughs> mid-50s he he's like a hard forties if he's supposed to be forty, right? But I, mean, I that's like she... the oldest forty. That's like the oldest forties <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. But I, I'm gonna put him at like right, mid fifties. Right. <laughs> sure. So that's at least okay. So so we're talking at least 25, 30 years age difference. So what do you think about the age difference between between these two? Well, they they kind of get around that because they don't actually engage in any sexual thing. I mean, they uh-huh. kiss at the end, but. Uh-huh. You, if you ask if if they were to hook up, I mean, she's not, she's not like Lolita age, so it would be way different than that. Of course, you know, a Twitter would get very upset with the with the the age gap people, but I, th- I think the reason why so many people love this movie, including myself, is that you know they don't do the predictable thing where where they make them hook up or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it wouldn't it wouldn't have been unacceptable, but it's okay. Very so refreshing let me ask you this: didn't. if it was not. Um... Sofia Coppola directing. What if it was a man directing the movie? It would be completely different. It would definitely be completely <laughs> different, right? And Probably. also, she she said it 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 was um you know it was actually autobiographical in the sense that it reflected on her uh, marriage at the time to Spike Jones, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, you know, it, like, I, well, actually, I guess, I guess, yeah, he's like the photographer, basically, in the movie, right? The husband. Yeah. Um, and, like, they had issues, and they got divorced a year after the movie was released. So, you know, you could see Oh, that- shit, did Spike maybe not like how he was portrayed? Maybe, I don't movie. know, maybe. He, he, he wasn't that bad in the movie. Like, the character yeah, wasn't he was a fine. terrible... He was yeah, like I mean, a, he's just know, a little oblivious sometimes. Yeah, a little bit but, full, like, you know, obsessed with himself and so on. And but Yeah. Hey, Liza, to your point, I, I don't think it's even a question of whether it's a man. I think if even if it's another woman who was not Sofia Coppola, and I say this because there's a movie called Broken English that came mm-hmm. out, I think, a few years after this. It's directed by Zoe Cassavetes, who, like Sofia Coppola, is, is the direct uh, daughter of a you know legendary American director, in her case, John Cassavetes. And the movie is kind of a similar premise um and it's a terrible movie uh it's it's about like this uh single uh woman in in new york uh played by parker posey and you know she she has like a lot of things going in her life but she's very lonely and she like meets a guy and then but he's no good and she meets some guy from france who's about to leave uh you know back to his country in a few days so they have this like brief romance and then things are uncertain in the end but you watch a movie like that and you realize how much could have gone wrong with lost in translation and i think it's quite a miracle that what, what do you mean gone wrong like it, it seems like so self-involved and uh it takes itself too seriously and these are just like total like fir- first world problem type of things um which you know lost in translation ultimately is about it's about a, a movie star and this and this girl who is married to this photographer and her big dilemma is that I don't know. She wants to be a photographer, but can't really take original. But you know, it's like all this stuff. And they're and the staying movie, at the Park Hyatt. They're staying at the Park Hyatt, and they're <laughs> right, going right, to right. these cool parties with these cool Japanese people. Woe is them. Which is why I said I'm always afraid that I will suddenly dislike this movie, but I, I don't think I will, given how many times I've watched it. Well, okay. So, so Chris, let me offer this up. Right, I think I don't. I haven't seen the movie you're referring to, but I think that one change you could make to that movie that would probably propel it closer to the success of Lost in Translation is just swap out the setting of New York City for the setting of Tokyo or any hyper-developed Asian country, right? Uh, you know, but I, I think what makes Lost in Translation work are the characters and the actors. Because, I mean, Bill Murray, uh, given, you know, he, he really is, I think, the whole uh, crutch of the movie. And then, and that's not to, not to discount what Sofia Coppola did because she specifically wrote the part with him in mind and would not make the movie without him so she knew that he was crucial but i also think we gotta give sure a- like I, I agree with you like the, for the humor for example is like bill, just bill murray it feels like he's just ad-libbing right i agree with you there but you, yeah. you're saying that like, if lost like in translation was set in all the time yeah but if you're, you're saying that the setting has no meaning like if lost in translation was just set in like new york or la it would be the same like it obviously wouldn't for lost in translation could be set in like say uh columbus ohio if, if they were just having like a wolf for whatever they were stuck there for a few days because of a and convention then it would be or ghost something world. remember um <laughs> steve buscemi and uh what's her face um can you remember Thora that his name Thora birch yeah because i was like wait wasn't scarlett johansson in that movie too but she's not playing the part that i'm thinking of yeah yeah you know she plays the the friend character but mm-hmm. see like ghost world mm-hmm. also works that that movie it's it's this um weird uh you know friendship thing between two lost people they had sex oh did, did they oh yeah they do they yeah do. she um, dumped him oh yeah that's true um but uh philip my point is i think the setting enhances it but i think it's not what made broken english like not good was was more than just that it was set in new york it just like wasn't written well the characters weren't really 
interesting and it, it was not able to stave off that feeling of self-involvement that movies like Lost in Translation are particularly prone to. Yeah, I'm just saying that the I'm just saying the thing that Lost in Translation did that people really enjoyed, like the whole alienation as a Westerner, you don't get if you're set in a West you're if you're if you're in a Western setting, right? You had to have the Tokyo element. Like the yeah, movie no, was look at the too. way the movie was shot, like all these like crazy flowing, you know, um sequences of just like the Tokyo skyline or the lights and stuff. Like it was almost a homage to the city as well. Um, no, that's but, true too, but you would have to watch broken english to see why yeah i, I haven't seen it worked, i don't, I don't know uh, but even yeah. if they uh transported anyway uh i just bring well i just lost in transition just brought it up in mind because i was just thinking like could lost in transition get made today or i mean of course it could get made but what kind of reception especially on social media would it have because when it came out way back in 2003 there was a group called like asian media watch that did raise uh you know some gripes about it mm-hmm. uh their main concerns was that you know there, there's no real like humanized Japanese character, Japanese people only uh, play for laughs. <laughs> and they said, look, the, uh, the concept of cultural appropriation, I don't think that term had come into public consciousness, but I think that's what they were getting at. They're like, why does this uh, white lady and these white actors get to make a movie about Japan if they're not going to include us? Us. So is Asian Media Watch, are they... Are they Japanese? Are they Japanese American? Or are they yeah. just like a pan Asian American? I'm sure they're just pan Asian just because like Japanese Americans aren't large enough to, you know, probably do anything on their own. But it could have been yeah, that they the, also the don't leading... care. Like their culture is that like they don't see themselves as like this this uh, marginalized group of people in need of better representation. Yeah, they're all you know, I mean they, they they've also been kind of like forced into assimilation and all that. And I have not really met much Japanese American people in my life. I have. They're not that assimilated. Really? Like, but I'm just like, saying, like, like Japanese, Japanese culture Americans? itself, like they definitely don't see themselves as like some like they don't see like Japanese culture as like marginalized and in need of better representation and needs to be like treated with like kid gloves by like whites they definitely see themselves as above whites and above american culture yeah definitely not uh japanese people in japan um if anything i think they they um go a little too far the other way where they're like but whatever um so my question is like would this like what what do you think would happen if this movie came out today well because it's scarlett johansson in tokyo the um all the usual jokes would come out, you know. Yeah, the, I, I think it, it, it hits all the trigger she's, points, right? Yeah, but she's like, yeah, you know, she's, the thing is, she's not playing a, a Japanese character, right? Like, that's, oh, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, don't. I, I understand. It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter right? If she but, touches anything Asian, all the jokes and the hate. Yeah, come people out. will. Yeah, because the context wasn't there. She was seventeen. This is like one of her early movies that it was mm-hmm. a breakup movie, basically, right? So no one had that mm-hmm. kind of like notion associated with her just yet. Yeah, she's the highest paid woman in Hollywood now, or the holly- highest paid actress in Hollywood now. And also, she's been through like several terrible PR uh, scandals. Like, like, like what? Like uh, Ghost in the Shell, or well, there's like, the well, Ghost in the PR Shell scandals? thing, and then there's there's a whole bunch of others. But like, I don't know. Okay. She she somehow like no one can remember what they're really mad at her for, but the hate stays. <laughs> Yeah, let me preface this with, with a hot take. I think um, I think the a lot of the hate against Scarlett Johansson is just typical. You know, whenever a, a woman in Hollywood gets too high, everyone starts bashing her. I think I think most of uh, stuff against Scarlett Johansson is that disguised as this kind of like righteous crusade. I'm not saying that uh-huh. as her fan. In fact, I think Lost in Translation and 
Ghost World, I think are the only movies with her in it that I enjoy. I, you know, her, I, I don't particularly care about. I never I saw Under the Skin. Um, what else is she in? Like, uh, Story, I never Rabbit. saw that. Never saw Jojo Rabbit. I ignore Rabbit. the Marvel movies that she's in. She sucks in those. But that's yeah, what yeah. she's like kind of famously known for now, right? That's why she's the highest paid. It's because of those movies. Probably. Black for Widow? better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As Black, as Black Widow. And and like, yeah, I agree. She's not great in them. And if she, it feels like, you know, just shoehorning stars into Avengers films, right? But um, Yeah, so I, I don't even particularly like her as an actress, but I, I see how she's become the face of, you know, cultural appropriation when there's like so many other yeah. people who have... Uh, offended uh even worse and i don't think she does any favors for herself because i it, like i think she's given some interviews where she sounds pretty tone deaf but i as i said i i've seen you know you've we've seen this happen to other kind of like a-list actresses before you know someone like anne hathaway and then and then uh jennifer lawrence afterwards so i i don't, I don't buy a lot of this um and what, what just looks like just a lot of just I envy. kind of agree with you Chris because if you think about every time these like allegations get lobbed they get lobbed of the actress and not the person who casted her or the director or and slash writer you know who wrote and produced this whole thing so it's it's interesting right it's like why is it that person and why not the people who made it happen because I don't know if she said like hey I intentionally want to be this character uh in Ghost in the Shell or whatever right mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. part that part was always strange to me about the whole topic Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I also don't think that um, loss in translation is a case of cultural appropriation, right? Yeah, I, I think it, it's it's I think it's super problematic for a bunch of other reasons, right? And it's a little bit nuanced too, right? Because like the critiques, you know, we had a couple articles you read about this, and the critiques were like, oh, they you know they dehumanized Japanese folks, they like played played them for laughs, they you know all those like R and L jokes, right? That was just repeated throughout the movie it was pretty pretty shitty. Like they're not good. Um, but to some extent, some of it was also like kind of, um, uh, I don't know how self-aware this was, but like, a a bit of, um, uh, a bit of character development in the sense that like, you know, Bill Murray's character makes these jokes. Like he makes the RNL jokes, like he, he mocks them, uh, and their accent to some extent to show that he's kind of a shitty guy. <laughs> right. Not only that, but there's a part where he and, uh, Charlotte are like in the hotel room and she actually just straight up asks him like, you know, why do they mix up their... Uh, R's and L's here, and yeah. he, she kind of gives this uh, like kind of like self-deprecating answer where she's like, "Well, you know, they're just probably doing it because they're they're bored with us, and they right. just need to make themselves laugh." So you know, he's he's aware of this, and it is something that is happens. You know, it's, yeah. it's a simple tick of of foreign languages. There are a lot of things English people can't say. You know, a lot of us can't roll our R's, for example, uh, and it's just just the reality. And I mean, well, I, I think the main criticism is like, oh, they don't. Um, they don't have like humanized Japanese characters, but I mean, first that's of all, not, that's not true either, right? Well, they have- yeah, so I think first of all, it's not really about Japanese people, and I think that's why the movie works. The, the movie is just about these like two white people who feel very lost in Japan, and it does not try to do anything more than that. It does not try to comment on Japanese culture and stuff. So it is myopic because it is a myopic movie. And secondly, I do think there are some pretty interesting Japanese people uh, that are portrayed. You know, like. The, like Charlie Brown and all those people, I thought mm-hmm. just they don't get a ton of screen time, but they seem like really fun people having a good time. I certainly yeah. I watch this movie. I'm like, hell, I want to go to Japan and hang out with these people because they seem great. And then they're like little mm-hmm. parts. Like remember that old lady in the hospital that Bill Murray just kind of like you know he, he can't have a conversation with her because they don't understand what they're saying. But you know he's like you know they kind of have fun together trying to 
I don't know what you call what they do, right? I mean, she's like trying to explain something to him. He's trying to pretend to understand. So you watch little things like that. I don't really see how you can say it it makes cruel mockery of these Japanese people. I think the sequence where they have that like long bender with her cool Japanese friends like Charlie Brown, etc., was interesting because there's a scene where um, they're in a club, right? And they're playing, you know, Sofia Coppola has like amazing soundtracks. Um, oh, the soundtrack to the movie is just simply amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, after that party, the next day, Bill Murray is like on a call. He's a bit elated. He's calling his wife and he's like, oh, yeah, we were at this cool club and they're playing some amusing, amazing music. I should have asked what, you know, what it was. And I was thinking like, that was just Phoenix. <laughs> that was just <laughs> but, like the hit, the hit track in 2003, right? And it's, it's, it's amazing because it's like, it's a that's a French band, but it's like it's Western music. It's not Japanese music, right? And what what's interesting there is that the the one group of humanized Japanese folks in the movie, right? These cool party friends, right? These like hipsters, like they're they're closer to Western culture in some senses, like including the music and maybe the like surfer dress style and so on, than um, right? Than than the the characters in the Japanese characters in the movie who were played for jokes, right? Like the, the people who were attending to Bill Murray and so on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like there is self-awareness to it. Um, there's a bit of reality to it because there is a really cool um, music scene in Japan, of course, right? That Amer- Americans have no purview into. Um, I just don't think that like this stuff, like it added up to slightly racist jokes, but I don't think it added up to cultural appropriation by any means. Yeah, and here's my issue with what these... what what these critics, if they got what they wanted and the movie did try to say something about Japanese culture, introduce these uh, in, like you know important Japanese characters, I'm more afraid of what that would happen because that would probably no, that would put worst. a lot of responsibility on someone like a Sofia Coppola or whoever would make this type of movies. And first of all, I don't trust white people to do it well. In fact, I don't even trust Asian Americans to do it well. And we'll get to that. Uh, late a bit later but i just want people to do what they do well to the best of their ability i don't want them to um go outside what they're capable of because it's it just gonna turn into shit because you know what would happen if they're like okay we gotta we gotta integrate japanese society into this so let's let's make the bill murray or the scarlett johansson character a native japanese person i don't want to see that because then it, it just becomes even more of of like actual cultural appropriation thing where you actually are trying to say you know a white person can like fit into like japan's i don't know they're just like no just just let them be about these these two um you know isolated people in in the park hyatt hotel you know just let it be that because that's what sofia coppola can do well uh so just let her do that instead of trying to make something that it's not so maybe the concern that they had the critics had back then was less about cultural appropriation or just the straight racist jokes. It was just the usual media rep stuff where it's like every time we're portrayed, we're portrayed in an embarrassing way. And it's just about like social embarrassment, right? Because they understand that Westerners are watching and be like, oh yeah, Japanese folks are all like this, you know, like even Sofia Coppola, who's a woke director, portrays them like this. So they must be this backwards. It might just be that simple. And that, that you know, elicited a, a reaction where we wrote a couple articles, um, you know, talking about the racist tropes in, in the movie. Might just do yeah, that. I, I think the complaint back then was just a little confused because, you know, there was so little portrayal of Asians yeah. uh, or Asian Americans. So, uh, you know, like this could have been all people saw of Japan for the next 10 years. So they, they were just hypersensitive to everything. Now I think the criticism is a little different because now there is relatively high uh, representation 
compared to back then, mm -hmm. uh, not only from America, but also from Asia. Like if you don't like American portrayals of Asians, just go to Asia. You know, like Netflix has a ton mm -hmm. of, you know, Asian dramas and That's movies, for example. That's what I always say. Right. Mm -hmm. So now I think the crux of the criticism now is Asian Americans should have a monopoly on this rich cultural uh, backdrop of Asia because mm -hmm. basically you owe us. Um, you made fun of us when we were kids and all that kind of stuff. And now I think we run into real big problems because, as I said, um, I don't trust Asian Americans to do even like a quarter of a job that Sofia Coppola was able to do with Lost in Translation. I mean, it's kind of disgraceful how it took this hyper-privileged, uh, you know, up in, the, up in the clouds, you know, daughter of, you know, one of the greatest American directors of all time. And she makes a movie that probably made more Asians want to go to Asia than a couple of movies I saw um, made by Asian Americans, which is so terrible. And they're not terrible in the sense that they were just poorly executed. Like if they were, if I could see that this could have been a good movie and they just botched, you know, because the direction or the casting or whatever, then it's okay. But I think the core message of movies like Shanghai Kiss and All Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong, two movies I saw, just because they're, they're both similar to Lost in Translation in that they're both about Americans, in this case, Asian Americans who go to Asia and, you know, to and discover something. That is like... The biggest compliment that you could ever give Shanghai Kiss is that they're both <laughs> similar to Lost in Translation. So okay, it's so Philip so has bad. not seen Philip has not seen either. I refuse of these to watch them because they sound. And so I think shit. this is good because now we can Don't explain it to you, like you're a five year old. Um, okay, yeah, do that. And, and I'm sure most of the audience, uh, to their fortune, have not seen these movies. What's up so with these movies? So Shanghai Kiss was made in 2007. It was written by an Asian guy and co-directed by him, him and, and like some white dude for some reason. And it stars Ken Leung, most famous as probably uh, the psycho in Lost. Remember? I think it was like one of the okay. Lost seasons. Where he plays the roommate of one of the main characters in their flashback and they're in like a mental asylum. Ends with him attacking him for some reason. That's what I remember. Also the bad guy in Rush Hour. Uh, not like the main bad guy who was the, the white guy, but like his henchman. Um, so he's this he struck like 50 now. Yeah, I mean he's he's like yeah, he was like he was like a youngish guy back in the early 2000s. How old so. is Hayden Panettiere? In the movie or in real life? All right, we'll, we'll get to that. That's that's like a that's like a whole other yeah, so so um, Ken Leung plays this guy named Liam. I mean, first of all, no Asian American should be named Liam. Let's get that straight. Oh, also, no I no know. white people should be named Liam unless they're like from from Europe. Let's get that straight as well. He plays a guy named Liam. He's a, uh, of course, as these all movies are, he's a struggling actor in L.A. Uh, hates his parents, um, or he hates his dad. His mom's passed away. Just kind of like bounces around from audition to audition. You know, getting the same stereotypical like "Where are you from?" and "Can you do an accent?" type of things. You know, the kind of shit we see even today in like Master of None and mm -hmm. The Big Sick, and you know, the same old same old tired shit. Anyway, he ends up learning that he like inherits a house in in Shanghai, so he has to go there. Um, he goes there. And, okay, before all this, for some reason, while he's on the bus, uh, a sixteen-year-old uh, girl played by Hayden Panettiere just just like goes up to him and starts singing and falls in love with him. And he's like in his late 20s this in the is movie. Like, this is like um, probably the height of when the manic pixie dream girl yeah, was yeah. like the biggest trope. So like this is coming off of like Natalie Portman after G Garden State and like yeah. Charlize Theron in um, what, Sweet November. Yeah, and then... um. What is it? Elizabeth Town, you know, the the movie that spawned the term. It's like all in that like first decade of, of the 2000s when all this all this stuff was happening. Okay. So they get in the relationship, um, which is just like just really painful to watch, especially as an Asian guy, because, you know, you know, an Asian guy wrote this. So you, you see like the wish fulfillment shit. Like, yeah. So 
transparent. Uh-huh. And, and as I said, it just it just hurt me to watch. But was like, it was it executed poorly? Because like people yes. like extremely, okay. but how? extremely. Like, okay, was it writing so my, bad? Acting was bad? So what my was background bad? is this. Um, Chris told me to watch Shanghai Kiss, <laughs> okay. so I actually paid three ninety nine to rent it oh, on um, wow. Prime. <laughs> Chris, you owe her four bucks, man. (laughs) I turned it off during the bus scene because I told Chris, I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is, (laughs) I can't, I can't keep going. This is like, yeah, because the premise sounds, the premise sounds great. I gave it a chance because I'm like, okay, so Chris and I were talking about doing this podcast together and we talked about some movies that we were going to view for it. So, like, Lost in Translation, we both agreed is like such a great movie. It's like both of our, one of our favorites. And then he was like, okay, we'll also watch Shanghai Kiss. (laughs) <laughs> and already tomorrow in Hong Kong. So I was like, okay, well, it can't be that bad. I mean, the movie poster looks terrible, and so does the premise. No, it is like, you know, that that's the reason I paid for it because was I was um, I was being I was being very trusting that Chris was uh, was recommending a good movie. I didn't realize no, no, Chris no, was I recommending was... me like a terrible <laughs> movie. Liza, I was very clear. This was supposed to be a hate watch, wasn't I clear? I didn't. Yeah, I, I, you were clear, which no, is why I didn't watch it. I don't it. know. But if you did, I didn't read that part. <laughs> Okay. okay. All right. Liza watches everything to... anyway. So, but you guys still haven't explained to me why yeah, it's bad because I'm trying to understand. Because I paid four bucks to watch Lost in Translation. I was gonna, was gonna pirate it. Wasn't on Netflix. I was like, I, I do like this movie. And then after rewatching, I was like, it was totally worth it, right? To pay four bucks for it. But oh, why yeah, is this four dollars is definitely worth the price of Lost in Translation. Yeah, I, I just think it's a terrible movie because like the. I mean, I could not believe this was written by an actual Asian guy because the Asian guy character is so <laughs> despicable. He's like, he's there's terrible. no, he is. Like, any, any, like, uh, he hooks up with Hayden Panettiere. He hooks up with another blonde girl. He like just picks up at a bar for no good reason. And then in in Shanghai, the the Asian woman he hooks up with, played by Kelly, who again just like within an hour of them just randomly meeting in a bar, uh, is like going on a walking date with him, and they just start kissing on a bridge or something, and like. Okay. It's not just it's not just that um it's just like the way he acts like for for instance he just like he's like at a bar with his friend and then he he like sees that blonde woman at the bar that he's going to pick up and he goes on this weird rant about how a uh, women like that uh, can just coast by on their looks so they don't have to develop any interests or or you know any kind of I guess character cuz they're just you know basically uh good-looking whore or something and it's like why why is this like the first thing we learn about him why are we supposed to root for this guy this is not even and it's not even like unlikable in a in a so dark that he, he's kind of like awesome in a way it's just like very mundane typical type of type of jerkness and he, he doesn't even change even when he goes to asia he acts a lot like just a typical white uh tourist like for instance one of his like cousins or something takes him to like a like a hostess bar, and mm-hmm. in in a karaoke bar, uh, they're just singing. And uh, again, like this scene, you compare it to the karaoke scene, like Lost in Translation, which is like just so full of life. It makes you want to go to Tokyo. You watch this, and it just looks really just oh, you're like why the hell would I want to go to Shanghai? Look, it just looks depressing. Anyway, the, the the woman who runs a place comes in with with like the the line of women for him to choose. And he doesn't even question like, "Hey, you know, is this it, what what the hell is happening?" He's like, "Ooh, I want this one." And then he like kind of you know, is pushy, gets her back into his hotel room. And you know, it's just like what? so. He's just a sex pad. He's just a sex pad. Like it's yeah. And and, and, and he, as I say, he doesn't really change until the end. He kind of has this like one eighty conversion where he like apologizes, for example, to like Hayden Panettiere and says he was a jerk and everything. But in the end, they end up getting together. So I'm like, what is the message of this movie? It's like you're a terrible Asian, insecure Asian guy. Go to go to and and hook up with like a high school cheerleader. Then go to Asia. 
and and find like an Asian woman to fix you, and then come back to America and then rehook up with that with that underage girl. I think mean, it's it's just so. It just so sounds to up. me. You gotta think about like what the I don't know, the writer, director, whoever the Asian American guy was that set this up was like. He sounds like he's trying to course correct a bunch of the bad shit around you know how Asian male characters are portrayed in in movies. But he doesn't do a good job in the sense that he actually makes a character not likable, right? Like you think the very first thing you do if you had the opportunity to make a a movie where you had an Asian American lead is to make him actually likable and like nuanced and and deep. But he fucks that up, right? And then he goes yeah. and he he does all the wish fulfillment, right? With these like three to four different love interests or whatever, right? To almost yeah. make up for the fact that like Asian guys never get to do anything with women on screen. So yeah, I, I look I looked this guy up just just to see what he was about. Yeah, I mean the only defense anything in his defense was he was only like twenty when he made this movie. Uh, I was so shocked that someone that young, e- even though this was not like a I think it was like a directed DVD release. It wasn't like a big movie or anything. But I will not fault someone at twenty for making a bad movie. I will fault them for lacking the sense to realize maybe I shouldn't be making this right now. I need a few years <laughs> at least for you know to, to mature, get my craft you know honed, get my perspectives. Think because I mean, how did anyone just like look at this draft and and not realize it was garbage? That I will. Blame Here's the other sad thing too. On. He had to. I don't know how big this movie was, but he had to have some amount of network support and money behind him. Because yeah, the cast produced, is actually right? pretty decent. Uh, James yeah. Hong plays his father. You know, James Hong, pretty well, like one of those recognizable old Asian actors. He's like a lot in a lot of things. Yeah. Kelly Hu, you know, fairly big name, especially at the time. Hayden Panettiere was like in Heroes at the time. She was a pretty big actress. I've I don't know how this went together. Before. Oh, I mainly know her as, as Malcolm's babysitter, Malcolm in the Middle. She was there for a few episodes because I never watched Heroes. She's a TV Heroes, person, but... and that's why. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> uh-huh. So my, my gripe is if Asian Americans are demanding that we have exclusive access to, you know, any story that even touches upon Asianness, and this is what we come up with, like, hell no. Like, let, let Sofia Coppola, like, uh, you know, appropriate everything because like, she can do think it way that, better than any of us Do you think that can. if we threw enough, like, Asian American directors, male or female, right, you know, give them enough opportunities, maybe they're a little bit more mature, maybe they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s when they make make their movies do you think you'd get a better result or you think that the environment that we've set up so far is going to lead to more trash like this i know it's not gonna work because that's what i'm scared of is the second part no see the (laughs) i know that's not that like rosy picture you paint is not possible because the other movie i watched was called already tomorrow in hong kong this was made like in sometime maybe like five seven years ago i think it was like the mid 2010s Mm -hmm. made by an asian american woman i think she was like in her 30s so during at the time. The, it's, it's during the um, awareness era. Uh, pro- yeah, I think so. Um, and it probably, it, it wasn't like a big hit or anything, but I'm sure it, it uh, the, the marketing focused on, oh, this is like uh, a woman of color story kind of thing. Oh, already tomorrow in Hong Kong. I mean, th- this is like fucked up on so many levels too. So the, the premise of this, uh, this stars a uh, Jamie Chung and she plays uh, a Chinese American woman who goes to Hong Kong for like a business trip, meets a guy there who basically shows her around and lets her like reconnect with her roots. Twist, the guy's white. He's like some uh, white American guy who's been there for like 10 oh, years, some Hong finance Kong bro. Oh, the guy is a white guy? Yeah. Yeah, he's an expat, and right? And he teaches her about... <laughs> yeah, there's even a scene where she oh is um, trying to buy a suit uh, and you know, from one of those uh, famous uh, suit makers, you know, like kind of like underground suit makers in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and they're kind of trying to cheat her out of it. So he steps in and he uh, haggles in Cantonese. 
So okay. I mean, th- this movie is essentially saying that, uh, you know, re- like reconnecting with with Asia um, requires actually no Asians themselves, especially like Asian men. A white dude can just like come in there and play that role. And I mean, like on like a craft level, it also doesn't work. It wants to be. I think uh, the director directly says she was inspired by Lost in Translation, but it's a lot more like Before Sunrise. It's about these two strangers who meet and, and then explore a foreign city together. Yeah. See, the reason why okay, she can be inspired by Lost in Translation, but like, see, this is where this is where like authenticity, like it doesn't matter. You have to have talent, like. Not everyone, just because you like the movie that Sofia Coppola made and just because you're like an Asian woman who wants to like reconnect with Asia, it's like that doesn't alone make you capable of making a good movie. You have to be, you have to have like actual talent. <laughs> right. And Liza, I would actually question about how authentic. I don't care if you're authentic. an Asian woman, like, I, you know, just because a white woman did it and you don't think it was like sufficient enough. It's like, well, that white woman had more talent than you as a director. Sorry. Right. And I would question about how authentic it really is simply because the director was Chinese-American. I don't think just by looking Asian, you have some kind of um, mystical bond with your homeland that lets yeah. you make something good. Uh, well, right, it, when should, it, it, should, it should give you some yeah, kind of bond, right? But, uh, but people don't yeah, execute uh, well on it. They fuck right, up right, all so the time. That's, that's another reason why... I, 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 that's why I'm also suspicious of, of this like cultural appropriation thing. I think ultimately, it kind of comes down to mediocre or even just outright like shoddy people um wanting basically like a protectionism from competitors namely non-asians namely yeah. white people yeah uh so that they can have exclusive access at least for a, a, a period of time to what is an increasingly valuable intellectual property in other words asianness and and if the if the consequences that we have to suffer through more like shanghai kisses and and already tomorrow's in hong kong's uh, at the expense of Lost in Translations? Hell no. You know, fuck that. The guy that made Crazy Rich Asians is doing exactly that. Like, you know, he made a really shitty movie, uh, <laughs> called it a watershed moment in Hollywood, you know, for Asian Americans. It's not. Um, <laughs> and then, like, when that when the Thai cave uh, movie was pitched and it was going to be a white director, oh, right, right, he was yeah. like, mm-hmm. no, it's time for us to tell our story. And he's like, he's not Thai. Nope. Yeah, like, and I, also I guess he's if not there a were, good director. It is going to be so funny when the white director's mo- version of the movie is a better one. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, if there, I guess if there was a Thai director who also happened to be a diving expert, then yeah, he should get dibs. But, that's right. Um, but okay, I'm so if you're a diving that, expert, that still doesn't make you a director. You right, right. Uh, so I'm saying doing. if there were both, obviously that person probably does not exist. So it's just going to default to the... I was going to say, does that person exist? We'll have that movie in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, so it'll just, it'll just go to some like Asian American who the only reason why they went to Thailand is probably like for like a bachelor party or some shit like that. And like, why, why should you have, <laughs> no why should you have access to this? No white guy goes there. Right, so it's just like, why, sh- why, should, um, why, should, why should you have any special access to it? And uh-huh. um, I'm just, so, yeah, just I see so, a lot of these people my, on Twitter talking about stuff like that, and I'm just like, you go ahead and make a movie, then I guarantee it'll suck. All the complaining. What's the what's the like recourse for all this, right? Because it sounds a bit like your your thesis, Chris, is you're gatekeeping not against white folks, which is what you're saying the Asian American media, you know, online blue checks, etc., like to do, but you're gatekeeping against bad 
Asian directors, Asian writers, and so on. So what's the, like, when, when will you be satisfied? Will, will you be satisfied if someone comes along and, like, writes a really great original screenplay, a good movie comes out of it? Because that's hard, right? Because we th- there's all these things stacked up against Asian Americans even getting mm-hmm. an opportunity to make a movie. So how do we, how do, how well, do you, I think like... That, okay, can we, um, to answer those questions, can we define what makes a movie Asian American? Because I've been, okay, so I've been on a tear marathoning a ton of movies this week. Mm-hmm. Um, things are a little bit calmer for me on the organizing side of things. And I had a lot of free time, but I'm like, honestly confused about what we define as Asian American movies because the definition is so narrow. It's like we, we brought up, um, you know, in our, in our group chat earlier this week, we brought up Ang Lee, who's an Asian American director, but mm-hmm. we don't consider his movies to be Asian American, you know, like uh, Life of Pi and Crouching Tiger and Dragon, like they don't count. And then last night I watched um, Kundun, which is by Martin Scorsese. And mm-hmm. that's not considered an Asian American movie either, despite the fact that it has a very large all Tibetan cast and it is an English language. But we're like, we're not hesitant to label something an American or just like, okay, re- a white movie, like the definition for white movies is so broad. Like Ang Lee makes white movies. Scorsese made Kundun, which is a white movie, even though every single person in it is Tibetan. But the so, definition of Asian American movies is too narrow. And then there's like Soul Searching, which I have read doesn't count as an Asian American movie because it's too diasporic Asian and it doesn't take place in America even though the director and like half the cast are Asian American and the whole thing is in English. Wait, by that standard, The Farewell isn't an Asian American movie. And, and remember, they raised yeah. the whole stink. Uh, Asian Americans raised the whole stink about The Farewell being considered a, an international movie, right? Mm-hmm. So if by that sta- by, if by the soul-searching standard, The Farewell is not an Asian American movie, then yeah, it is a foreign film. And then these, these Asian Americans don't know what they're complaining about. Right, yeah. that's what I'm saying. So how are we <laughs> defining Asian American? Is it only when it's appropriate for them? Because it's like, what makes Crazy Rich Asians an Asian American movie then? Half of those people aren't American either. And it doesn't take place here. I think well, from their perspective, it mainly has to have Asian characters in the movie who speak English. Um, okay, and, and so not, then not, that no, means that, that Martin Scorsese's Kundun is an Asian American movie. Oh, that's true. Right? Or let's say Asians. Okay, and then like that would also make a- Last America. Samurai an Asian American movie. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so let, let me let me redefine that. And Asians <laughs> with roots in America speaking English. Bonus if it, there's like an Asian director or a writer, but not necessarily because like a movie like Harold and Kumar sometimes gets called an Asian American movie, sometimes not. And and I, I look to a movie like that as an example of why sometimes, uh, embarrassingly, white people do a better job of showing Asian characters than Asian Americans uh, ourselves. Um, so, so I, I think it mainly has to do with the characters because people are really, they care about what they see. Um, but I also think the directors and possibly the writers also have a critical role. What, about the, what about the subject matter? Like the, what is kind of discussed in the movie? Because like, I think about, you know, everyone can kind of agree that Better Luck Tomorrow is one of the best, if not the only good <laughs> Asian American, Asian American movies, right? is better yeah, than Liza, Better yeah. Luck Tomorrow. Liza I know you're a big fan the second of, one. Okay, we found a second one. We'll have to watch it and talk about it. But what what is it about Better Luck Tomorrow that makes it Asian American? I think part of it is just like some of the subject matter around being these like, you know, um, 
LA, like almost enclave Asians who are but see, at the end that's, of school. But see, that's what I'm saying. It's like, so everything else is, is considered a white movie. It's too narrow of a definition. Uh-huh. It's like we, we lump everything that doesn't fit that definition that you're saying. We just call it an American movie or we call it a foreign movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Asian American, the definition is so tight and it's like, it's so strict. It has to check off all these boxes and we don't make all the other movies check off all these boxes. So, I mean, if you're gatekeeping right there, if, like, you know, and like a lot of these movies don't count as Asian American, then yeah, there is no, then there are none. But, you know, if you broaden that definition the way you broaden the definition for every other category, then yeah, we, there'll be a lot more. Uh-huh. Oh, hopefully this addresses both your points. But uh, Philip, I think you were asking me, so what What do I want to see ultimately, yeah. right? My, my whole thing is I want to see more good, interesting movies about Asians, about Asian Americans, set in Asia, set in Asian America, which are two different places. You know, Asia is not the same as Asian America. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I at this point, I don't care who makes it because we are in, you know, pretty... There's a dearth of like good stuff out there. And from what I've seen from Asian Americans, I think um, I don't I don't think there's anything uh, like say genetically wrong with us because you know if we look at Asia, a lot of great stuffs coming from Asia. I will say that I do think that a lot of Asian American history and culture has uh, hindered us because we're we're just like so desperate for acceptance all the time. I'm not saying it's impossible to yeah, overcome it. Yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible to overcome it, even if you are, you know, fully grown now. I don't mm-hmm. think it's too late to fix your mindset, but I think you do have to work very hard against it. And I think no way should those types I mean, of Asian Americans. You keep saying that there's a dearth, and I'm saying that if you broaden the definition, there's not a dearth. Uh, possibly. Um, no, but Chris is saying good ones, not not just Asian American movies. No, but I, yeah, I think Eliza. It's not a dearth, even if you want to say good ones, but mm, a lot like, of them are going to be directed by white people. Yeah. There are lots of good ones. They're not directed by Asian Americans, though. I mean, if we're talking about, say, like contemporary uh, stories about contemporary people, um, that that you know, something like Kundun, um, I've never seen. I'm sure it's a good movie, but it's it's also like a historical drama. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking of it's the Dalai uh, Lama. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking of like a, a story either set in America or set in like you know, kind of like modern. Okay. So well, urban then, Asia. well then, why does that like what I'm saying is if we, if a setting matters then like, okay, so then how does the farewell count? And like, how does Crazy Rich Asians count? And like, um... Because I think they have uh, Asian like American Shanghai subject Kiss matter, and right? like already they, tomorrow in Hong Kong, like how do they count? They, they have... Well, because their characters are Asian American. But this, also the stories are things that like Asian Americans care about, right? Like you think about the farewell, I actually haven't seen it. But I think that like the, the issue around, you know, is it filial piety almost? Like her relationship with her grandma, you know? Um, dealing with Asian American traditions around like face saving, trying to keep the secret away from her grandma, like that—that that, I think counts as as subject matter, right? It, with Crazy Rich Asians, I think there's like the whole, um, uh, you know, well the main the the, the lead character is Asian American. Her spouse, like, or her uh, partner is uh, British, British, I guess. Um, but they also deal with this whole thing that Asian Americans go through now, which is like kind of going back to the homeland, right? So I, I I think that helps the definition, but I think a lot of people also disagree, right? It's got to be in the director has to be Asian American, the actors and actresses to be Asian American, um, you know, the story has to be set in America or whatever. Like, I don't think we're ever going to agree on what the criteria is. 
is too difficult. Yeah, I know. That's that's the problem. Okay, what about Itmon? What about Itmon Four? It takes place in um, what San Francisco. I True. I have no idea what the Itmon movies are about. To be honest, I thought they were set like a hundred years ago, like during the like the Tong no, era. No, they're not. Uh, it's Bruce Lee's America. teacher. Okay. But, but it's going to be seen as a martial one, arts two, film, three, and not like four, a. I'm a big fan of the Itmon series. I think they're great. I just don't think they're Asian American movies. Completely in America. Or, or rather, there's a, a kind of fantasy element to them uh, that may make them. So it can't a have bit... a fantasy element. Well, because, like. Um, you see know, what I mean? Do you see how yeah. you're just like making the definition more and more narrow? Like I just brought up Itmon and then it's like, well, no, thatesn't count. Why? Something no, I'm saying how it. some people might not feel like. How, you know, differentiate on Itmon from like The Farewell or, or or other movies like that. I find it very problematic that only some stories are considered um, American, Asian American storylines, but something, for example, like Itmon, the martial arts, you know, the, the martial arts hero who comes to San Francisco doesn't count. Yeah. See, I think I think what you're getting at here is, I think, an important point that in that a lot of these Asian American critics who you know insist on you know better representation and stuff. So it basically they, has to be a white story, but with Asian faces. Exactly, is what you're exactly. saying. Mm. And so because okay, so martial that's, arts that's movie, a very narrow definition, and it's one where like if you keep screaming about we just want the white version or the Asian version of whatever is something white, then like I don't like. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's not helping to form like, um, like any kind of identity. Right. And I think that's precisely the point. Cause you said it, it, it's a narrow definition. It is a narrow definition yet. It's also the one that potentially has the broadest appeal, right? Cause all you do is just like do a, a palette swap of a white movie and you get, you get like broad support because people, they know the formula and everything. So I think that's their thing. And, and, and it's uh, like a martial arts movie, just too Asian. There's no real white, equivalent to i mean the white equivalents are basically derivatives of the the asian originals so okay but then what about when white people make asian uh, what about when white people make martial arts movies those are automatically american movies so like blood sport and kickboxer uh they are white movies because it's like jean claude van damme but he goes to asia everybody else in the movie is going to be asian and they're all doing martial arts half of them aren't speaking english and it's still considered a white movie and he's like the only white guy in it. Yeah, but I'm saying that the reason why um, that's not seen as like some kind of victory is that the, the, like the, the parent is Asian. I mean, like the parent movie is Asian. So it's more like the white fe- people trying to fit into Asia rather than vice versa. And the Asian fitting into white is what a lot of Asian Americans secretly want, I think. Right? Yeah, that's what I have a problem with. It, it just screams Asians just want to be white. So like they're never going to be happy until Asians are seen the same way that whites are. So right? maybe they need to get over that before they can start making good movies. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's why I'm saying that uh, right now, um, let like let everyone who can make like a good movie about Asian Americans and Asian Americanness, let them do it because I don't think Asian Americans right now can do it because we've just been so fucked in the head. Um, I think it'll take us some time to No, to the only get... Asian Americans who are making movies are the ones who are so desperate to be white. And if you're not desperate to be white and you make a movie, it's not considered an Asian American movie. Because look what they did to Itman and look what they do to like Ang Lee. Uh, true. But I think also a lot of Asians who go into like the, the culture industries do so out of a desire to uh, fit in with 
the the cool white friends or just like or they weren't friends that's their problem they always wanted to like be friends with them and i think that's why they go into these industries which is a problem in itself because the more you know the the, the asian americans who don't think like that don't even bother to go into these things maybe we need um, asian, maybe we need asian american like movie makers to be funded by asian studios but um, are allowed to make their own stories i'm not sure that would help either no um, why <laughs> Because then you don't you don't you eliminate the problem of like having to be. Because then it's not going to be called an Asian American movie. I guarantee no, it could be you completely, the kind it can, of stuff that's going to get whatever. Like it, can be, is, it would just get funded by South Korea or China or whatever. But the subject matter, the characters, the writers, directors can all be Asian American, or some of them can be, and you can make an Asian American movie. Right. But then so, you but eliminate I'm the problem. More about at like at like say when like you're you're like a middle schooler and and your dream is to become a filmmaker or or a writer or whatever at that level i think there is a sorting process where the the asian americans who feel a little out of touch with their own community because they think oh you know all the other asian americans are going to kumon and you know playing piano i'm the i'm the weirdo who you know reads shakespeare and watches you know i don't know like ingmar bergman i don't know something like that and i think that's where that process of disassociating yourself from your own community and probably they so. could also be watching Kurosawa and like all those all those guys. Possibly yeah. now um, with like wider uh, propagation of you know movies from all over. So it could be like a time thing. Maybe we just have to wait a little bit for those Asian Americans to come along. But in the meantime, um, we should not be just ceding ground to these uh, Asian Americans who, as I said, it's not just an execution problem. It's like a fundamental ideology problem where the stories they actually want to tell are fucked up, and I don't want to see them. Um, put out there as as anything, especially when they're like saying it, it's on behalf of us and somehow benefiting us. I think at best, uh, what can be said is that they're trying to use cultural appropriation as their ticket to climb up the the white spheres that they're in. And if <laughs> if their competitive advantage among their like peer of say filmmakers or or writers or actors or whatever, if their advantage is I get exclusive access to like everything Japanese or Korean or Chinese or Vietnamese, that gives them a huge leg up. And I think that's ultimately what they're after. And I'm like, why should this be a community issue? That's like selfish. That's just pure selfishness. Cultural that- appropriation to me is just as stupid of a problem as like cancel culture. It's right. just, it's a labor purge, right? Is what yeah, you're exactly. saying. Cultural it's, it's, it's appropriation pure- is just like, let me get rid of all the white directors above me. I'm an Asian American director and therefore anything I do can't be criticized because, you know, how dare you, a white person, tell me what makes a good movie when this right. is like my movie. It's like my experience. So yeah. it's like, I feel like cultural appropriation is um, the cancel culture argument that like really, um, God, I hate to do, I hate to use the word, the P word, the boogeyman, the, uh, privileged discourse but that's what this is <laughs> you know like cultural appropriation is is like what um blue check asian people asian american people do and cancel culture is what blue check white people do they're all just like they're all protecting their their lively their incomes right right yeah. but from a different angle right like it's it's anti from different it's angles anti- right it's kind of anti-competitive same sides or what is it what's the saying go two sides of the same coin yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean like liza you were talking about that barcada or barcada uh incident barcada. in dc um do, do you want to so quickly stupid. say what that was about okay so there's this restaurant um uh, there's this wine bar in dc that um 
it's four white dudes who are good friends and they kind of wanted to make, they like the name Barcada, which is a Filipino word for um, like a crew, like your crew, you know, like mm-hmm. it's um squad. Uh, it's got Spanish roots and it actually has um, kind of like a dark origin in its etymology. Um, it is, it is like, boat people like Filipino Filipinos were grouped into boats when they were being displaced by the Spanish and um, they ended up being called Barcada and then the name just kind of stuck so like if that's like your 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 crew um, you would call it my Barcada you know okay. like um, and so these four white dudes who don't serve Filipino food don't don't there's like nothing Filipino is on the menu they use the word Barcada to name oh, their really? bar. Oh, that was it. Their wine I thought it was. Bar. I thought they actually were a Filipino restaurant run by white guys. But you're saying it's literally <laughs> no. just just the name, just part the word. of the outrage, which I particip- I did not participate in at all this week, but like a lot of people were just like, "Oh, it's by four white guys who like don't care about Filipino culture. How dare they use this name?" And I'm like, "Oh, come on, let's be real. If it was four white guys who did care about Filipino culture, <laughs> you'll still get mad." Right. Yeah. So, so it just, it seems like one of those situations where... There's a white there's, dude down the street with a restaurant called Aloha. Like, are you going to get mad at him too? Oh, I'm sure they're next on the hit list. But it's it's like this a situation where, um, you know, there's no way for for that, like, white guy or, or woman to win. It's just an excuse for uh, us minorities with a lot of, I think, um, pent-up anger uh, just waiting for an excuse to unload, and you know what? I get some of that anger. I think I, I don't think it's an illegitimate anger, oh, I do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the I'm, way I'm, but the I'm, way it's expressed is so incoherent, often hypocritical, and I think it just makes us look stupid and actually it's, delegitimizes. It's expressed as some kind of like moral outrage. Yeah, and I think it delegitimizes any potential real grievances we have. And ultimately, I think. This is, I think, a very Asian American. I think a very second generation Asian American. Because, like, you know, with like yeah, a Japanese kimono museum incident, like the Japanese people didn't care. And I'm not saying that no, Asian Asians not. are always the most racially aware, but uh, you know, it is telling when Asian Americans, many of whom probably were not even Japanese, got more upset about this than the actual Japanese people themselves. Wasn't that the critique I, of, um, you know, uh, was it, um, uh, was that, was that issue with that dress, the Chinese dress? Let me finish. Let me finish. What, what, okay. what I think, I think Asian Americans ourselves, we're grasping with our own, I think, uh, embarrassment at having been um, embarrassed by or having devalued our own heritage when we were growing up. I think that's ultimately what it's about. This is us and overcorrecting for being yeah, too it's ashamed us overcorrecting of like being and ourselves. Us, and us feeling entitled to it because of, you know, who we are or even sometimes just what we look like. And as I said, I think, you know, some of it is, is legit and there is the system as it is may make it easier for like a white person to do Asian stuff than, you know, Asians themselves. Oh, Barcada's changing their name. If you go to the, go to the Barcada <laughs> DC Instagram page and they've changed their, they've changed their bio to say, um, we are changing our name. So they, so it worked. So it worked, right? So it worked, yeah. So, it worked. So the like, okay, what, too- what did it accomplish? What did it accomplish? Right. So but, you- but what did it really accomplish? Right, exactly. Does it accomplish anything? Like, <laughs> are the lives of Filipino people going to be any better? No. 
I think it made a ton of people really irritated at Filipino people. I think is what I accomplished. Right, right. But see, I think because of cultural appropriation, appropriation implies that something is being taken from you. So the question I have to ask is what for these protesters or angry people, what was being taken away from you? And I think ultimately what, what they wanted to get back at was some kind of uh, like like emotional self for their you know own past history and for a moment i guess they got it like yeah you know we, we taught these the douche bros a lesson and we made them kneel before us but mm-hmm. it's so it's so momentary femoral and, and as philip said it might even just cause more damage in the long run because now now we just look silly yeah it, i think some people <laughs> would interpret that as like you're on the on the bad side of cancel culture right like yeah who, mm-hmm. who've overreached and see, here's here's another another uh, potential thing. Who's to say that's not going to come back against them? What if, like, say, a bunch of Filipino Americans make their own barcada, but then some like uh, a Filipino straight out of like uh, Manila, but, like you don't know anything, you, can, you don't even speak Tagalog, um, yeah. you know, you've never even been to the Philippines, you yeah. can't use it anymore either. And like, oh no, now now the knives are have pointed the other way, so uh, they're setting themselves up. We're all, you know, we're all, that's another reason. I think we're all setting ourselves up for. <laughs> We're setting ourselves I, up for being accused of brown facing ourselves. Right, right. And and I know we didn't get a chance to talk much about this, but the whole David Chang uh, podcast where Eddie Huang got mad at him for the, the chili crisp thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was an interesting episode. Eddie Huang's ma- main point, which which I kind of respect him for, is like, it's really not about money. He'd be happy if like David Chang put like a QR code on his jar so that people can go to his website and learn more about the history. Um, so that didn't seem so nakedly uh, self-interested in terms of like only I or other like Chinese Americans should get to make this sauce. But the thing is like uh like Lao Gao Ma, I think is like from China. Eddie Huang, you're like you're from, your parents are from Taiwan, you're from Florida, and you act like a black dude. Like at some point, someone's gonna call you out if you if if we keep going down this uh, cultural appropriation road. So okay, yeah, that brings me to thing. another thing. Like cultural appropriation is like the rules are not consistent. We only get mad yeah. when certain groups appropriate. And it's like only whites and Asians are ever accused of appropriation when there's very clear examples of appropriation from other groups. Like, I don't, I love Wu-Tang. I'm a huge fan. But how is that not included in appropriation? And then same with like martial arts culture. It's like if anyone else makes a martial arts movie, it's never considered appropriation, like Afro Samurai or The Last Dragon. But then people get mad at Tarantino for making Kill Bill. Yeah. So like, why is Tarantino the bad guy, but the people that made Afro Samurai are not the bad guy? See, I think the implication there, and it's quite... It's actually quite offensive like, if you think like about it. I feel like Tarantino that, gets way too much hate from the Asian community, and I don't know why. Like, why is he so singled out? Because I think the, the difference is, like, Tarantino is successful. And the implication is, uh, like, black cultural appropriators, you know, I use that in quotation marks, can never rise to that level of influence because yeah, but for I mean, whatever I, reason. So the definition, I thought that the definition of, like, cultural appropriation was the adoption of minority culture by members of the dominant culture. But then it's like, what happens when it's two minority cultures? It's like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that make like, so like representation or like population, like there's more black people than Asian people in America. Right. And we saw that with the whole Jeremy Lin dreadlocks uh, mini controversy with Kenyon Martin. And I saw a lot of like Asian American activists siding with uh, the uh, Kenyon Martin, when even like black people like sided with Jeremy Lin because it was so ridiculous. But you saw like Asian Americans get so nervous, like oh my god, you know. Yeah, and then it was like it turned into like okay, so it went from dreadlocks in um on Jeremy Lin to like how many guys in the NBA have like Chinese tattoos? Right, right. That was that. That was the the counter argument. Right. Uh, and, right. and I think and it's like the, why the, is one okay? 
and, and it's like rampant, but then like the other one is not okay. Like which one is the dominant group? Like which one is the dominant group and which one is the minority group? I think that when it's two minority groups fighting, they're you get like some serious problems there because then you're just like, uh, you get the none old, of us is white. Olympics, right? So like, like <laughs> it's all like feelings about the cultural standing of the particular identity group. It's that's that's what it comes down to. So if it's the cultural standing, then wouldn't that make black culture um, higher up than Asian oh, maybe, culture yeah. in terms well, in of in America? Like, yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, for sure, black culture is very mm-hmm. is very uh, dominant in in American pop culture a lot of american pop culture is black culture so yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's rock like a, music country music fuck so complicated rock music yeah so yeah. it's um yeah as i said it, it's it's not a consistent argument it's all over the place it, it, it often just plays to like peer pressure in whatever political group you're in yeah it's like um, the Japanese, the, yeah, the black-owned Japanese anime studio versus like K-pop, for example. Like, why is K-pop problematic? Right, and oh, I mean, I, like that's like a whole other episode. I think we can get into. We're we're at like over an hour right now, so I think we should wrap it up. But yeah, my bottom line is, I think cultural appropriation. I think there's like a merit in the in like the kernel of the idea. Like, we don't want white people coming in and getting credit for stuff we've been doing all along. And I think that's a perfectly fair argument to make. But now it's become this, as I said, like a protectionist racket, which is trying to let not only like untalented, but also deeply like fucked up uh, Asian American mindsets to come to the forefront at the possible expense of movies like Lost in Translation, which I think actually do a great job of just making Asia a, a, a cool place to mm-hmm. be. Um, uh, so, cultural preparation. Just like I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> That's it. That's the only episode we'll ever do on it ever. <laughs> it is going to get worse. This this whole appropriation thing. The goalposts are going to keep moving, and the definitions are going to get more and more narrow. And I believe it's because, um, you know, like it's well at this point, it's like inevitable, right? With the internet and like social media and globalization. Like, I think that um, the definition of cultural appropriation and globalization, you know, like they're going to start to get really muddy there. I think I agree with you that it's going to get worse. I think the reason why. And we're just going to see more and more overreach. Yeah, I think especially for Asian Americans, because Asian stuff is finally cool. Asian food is finally like considered cool by everybody, especially white folks. And so we're going to become more protective of it and they're going to want to grab more of it. So this is just going to get, right. like you said, And there's going to be a worse. lot of just like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, well, God damn it. Like I felt embarrassed of it when I was a kid mm-hmm. and now exactly. it's cool. And those are legitimate, like, come, those are legitimate now feelings, I have but how like do you, fucked up. <laughs> now how do you I have go about dealing with Self-esteem and now it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's about, right? It's like, we're just going to blame everybody else. Like, you fucked up my self-esteem. And so, like, it's not fair that it's cool now. Like, that sounds <laughs> so, like, go, it sounds so petty. Go see a therapist, you know? I mean, that's like, <laughs> these are legit <laughs> issues. Uh, you know, work them out with your therapist or your, your loved ones. Uh, but don't demand, like, exclusive access in, in, like, culture to work out your own issues. And then we end up shit with, like, sh- like Shanghai Kiss or Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong. Like two of the worst. Okay, so like it was. I was on a losing streak with movies. I kept watching these movies that I, yeah, I no didn't kidding. enjoy, <laughs> and, God, and not Chris. only on purpose. And I wish you would watch more of the movies that I recommend. 
Sure, sure. Well, I watch, should. Yeah, well, but it wore me down. Even me, who you know actually enjoys like hate watching stuff, it, like watching those two like back to back, it it took a toll on me. Man. Let's do let's do Soul Search. Let's do the uh, the non shit Asian American movies episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, uh, see, you with know, high praise, so, so I I rented Shanghai Kiss, and I did make an effort to find already tomorrow in Hong Kong, but it wasn't available for rent. And I'm doing this because Chris promised no, me don't, don't that we're going to be doing um, some martial arts episode, and that's oh, why yeah. I did that. I was like, I will take one. I, I will sit on the grenade because Chris <laughs> promised me that we can do an episode on the movies that I like. I'm down. Right, right. We will do that. We'll, we should also do one on like soul, soul searching. searching. Um, so, yes. Soul searching is better than better luck tomorrow. I'm putting that in there now so we can all fight about it in an, an upcoming episode. Looking forward to it. Or maybe we won't fight about it. Maybe you guys will agree with me. Yeah, yeah. So listeners, we will, you know, we, we will praise like Asian American stuff when it's good. We're not, we're not all just like <laughs> gloom and gloomers. So <laughs> I know we, we are coming off kind of yeah, harsh. So yeah, so listeners, uh, be on the lookout for that episode. And thank you for listening to this episode of Unverified Accounts. Join me, Liza, and Philip next time. See ya. All right. Later, everyone. Bye.